Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291 6900. Excuse me, 6901. Oh, one. There, there you, you go. go. <laughs> and you use our area code, which here in Baton Rouge is 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. And, of course, we have uh, lots of people all around the country and lots around in Baton Rouge, around the world as well. And we got an email from the regular listeners. He lives in London, England. His name is Mark, and Mark has called in on the show a time or two. Right. But Mark sent a couple of emails this weekend that it really – I said, yeah, that is a good theme for an entire program. Okay. And – you got one of them in front of you. He was working on his sister's car. Uh-huh. And he had to change the valve cover gasket, which means you got to take the air intake boot off, the air filter housing, and all that to get to the valve cover. And he said he got done, cranked it up, drove it around the block and everything, and said it was fine. Said his sister called him the next day, said the car wouldn't run. Mm-hmm. So he goes back over there to make sure that, you know, he didn't leave anything loose or something came undone. And within his... Looking around, he found that a spider had gotten into the intake boot, and after he sealed it all up, the spider built a nest around the mass airflow sensor yeah, wire. A little corona wire. And, and messed the, the airflow up, huh. messed the meter up. <laughs> and it's it just little goofy things like that. Yeah, he didn't do anything wrong. No. Now he's got a problem. There you go. And he said if maybe you guys could talk a little bit about some of the weird things that have happened happen to you and i said well that's yeah. probably a good idea there's certainly been a bunch of them and oh, I, yeah. said, I said well i can't think of it I know, right? <laughs> funny those things just pop up from time to time and someone will say something it'll spur a memory right that will bring it up for you but it's hard to sit down and well yeah when it happens it's all over the shop when it happens mm-hmm. and two days later it's gone and forgotten well that's right because it happens fairly frequently so you just kind of you don't store the information right you it just, just kind of Deletes when something else comes in, you know? <laughs> That's right. Kind of like Kelly Bundy. You there know, you one, one piece goes in and falls out <laughs> the other ear. But it only holds so much information. That's right. One thing that does come up to me, and this has been many, many, many years ago, we had a guy come in, and he had a little pickup truck of some sort. And what he said was, if you make a hard right turn, uh-huh. and only if you make a hard right turn, the brake pedal would hit the floor. Now, you mentioned that, and that spurred to mind. I know exactly which one you're talking oh, about yeah, now. Yeah. And I couldn't think of it to save my life yeah. earlier. And it's one of those things, you know, we checked the brake. He'd had the brakes oh, checked. Yeah. He'd had the brakes redone. I mean, they were looking for leaks. We were looking for all these things. Right. And he finally brought it to us. And I don't know if he made the exact same declaration to the other shops, but he brought it to us. Uh, so we got to thinking. And I think what I did is I got under the vehicle, and you turned it all the way over. And the wheel bearing was bad, uh-huh. but it was bad in such a way that when the weight of the car was on, it would stand pretty straight. Right. But when you would turn it all the way one wheel, the wheel would kind of flip out just a little bit, yep. which would push the caliper piston back in because the rotor would, would move, move with the spindle and the wheel and, right. and the caliper, caliper was, was bolted to the knuckle so it didn't move. And it would push the caliper piston all the way in. Well, the next pedal stroke had to push that back out. Right. So the pedal would virtually go nearly to the floor. And then, and then you'd pump it, it come, it, up, it come back right. out. And unless you made that extreme turn and allowed that piston to get pushed back in again, yep. it just wouldn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> Very obscure type, you know, just weird problem thing. And those kinds of things can really, really be the devil to find. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, those are extremely hard to find. Especially if you don't have a full disclosure of exactly when it happens and what brings it on and all that. And I want to talk about that, too, in just a bit. Okay. I thought I'd 
mention maybe just a couple more that kind of stuck in my mind. Again, this has been many, many, many years ago, back when cars still had points and plugs and condensers and all those sorts of things, way back. (laughs) And we had a gentleman, he had a little sports car, and I believe it was an MG Midget. Okay. Or an Austin Healey Sprite, one of those little small convertible sports cars. And what he said was, whenever it rains, okay, my vehicle starts to misfire, and it will die, and it'll start, and it'll die. And only so, when it rains. only when it rains. Well, he would bring the car in, we would check it over, and we couldn't find anything. So I told him, "We'll bring it in when it's raining next time it rains, and we'll check." So right, went and drove it. Wouldn't die. Didn't sputter. No problems found. Okay. So he says, "I'm telling you, it does it every time it rains." I said, "Well." I, I just don't know. I, I can't get, I can't duplicate it. And one day he brought the car in and what I noticed, this guy always wore sunglasses uh-huh. because he had a convertible sports car, usually had the top down, bright sun, got sunglasses on. Right. Well, he came in and as he parked the car, he grabbed his sunglasses and took them with him. So I got to thinking, okay, I know how could this possibly relate to the car misfire? <laughs> 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 and what, I did as I went and rode with it. I said, let me go and maybe you can show me. Uh-huh. So as he gets in the car, he takes his sunglasses and he hangs them up on the rearview mirror. Okay. And the car starts to miss and stumble and die and all this stuff. And what was happening is that he, that rearview mirror had a little wire that ran down because it had some kind of little electrical chichut in it of, of some sort. And I think it was like an uh, inside interior light or something. Uh-huh. And when he would hang his metal sunglasses on that rearview mirror, it would touch this wire, and that would bring down the power enough to where it was cutting power to the points, and the thing would die and all wow. that. And what he would do is he would bring the car in, or he'd grab his sunglasses take them with him. Sure. So they weren't there. But when it would rain, he'd take his sunglasses off. They hang went on, on the rearview mirror. That's where he hung them. <laughs> and so actually the rain had nothing to do rain with it. had nothing to do with it <laughs> it was sunglass malfunction <laughs> so just again one of those yeah. really really weird bizarre kind of little things and, yeah you know as you start to talk about them more of them will sort of come up in your mind had another gentleman he had a pontiac firebird and he had a misfire at high rpm Okay. And he, it was a firebird, so he ran the snot out of the car. And when it would get up to high RPM, it would start cutting out. And, of course, we're checking the ignition. We're checking the fuel pressure. We're checking all these things. Couldn't find anything. And what was happening, he, for whatever reason, he took it on himself to put 20W50 racing oil in this engine. Okay. And he also had a high-volume oil pump on the engine because he had made some modifications to it. Uh-huh. And what would happen is that the RPM would increase, the oil pressure would increase. Right. And this car was running probably close to 80 pounds of oil pressure at an idle. Wow. So it had way too much oil pressure to start with because of the thick oil and the high-volume oil pump. But when you would rev it up, it would would peg the gauge. The gauge was an 80-pound gauge. It would just go off the end of the gauge. Mm -hmm. And he didn't mention to us that he had a high-volume oil pump or that he was using 20W50 motor oil, which it should have had 5W50. 30 at that 5W30, yeah. And what we found was that as the oil pressure got higher and higher, it would eventually push the lifters up. It would just pump them up so high that it was pushing the valve springs in, so it starts floating the valves. Right. Wow. And again, what we did is we did an oil change. Yeah. The oil change fixed it. Yeah, at least made it extremely better. But he had spent an inordinate amount of money 
trying to seek this problem out. Right. And it's one of those things you probably would never really think about. But, and again, I guess I happened to notice the oil pressure was higher than normal, but I just never equated that to a so, misfire right. at high RPM. And it just, it just goes, it's weird little old stuff. And usually a high RPM misfire is going to be something ignition related. Well, ignition or it's running out of fuel. Right. You know, so two. we're checking the fuel pressure. It's got the pl- logical things. Plenty of fuel pressure and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it just shows you how you can kind of get off on a tangent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really go wrong. Hey, we're going to take a quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. On Route 66. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right. We'll answer just about any question you have automotive-related this morning. That's exactly true. And we were talking a little bit about kind of weird things that happen yeah. and how you can go wrong on diagnosis sometimes, that sort of thing. But, of course, we'll take a call any topic you might have. That we will. And you brought up one during the break about the little Toyota that came in, and he had recently had some major brake service done on it. Well, and some front-end work also. Right. Uh, control arm, I think, and mm-hmm. a tie rod or something. And he was having the same situation. He mm-hmm. had a low brake pedal. First time you'd apply it, he'd go to the floor. Mm-hmm. And you'd let it come up, and you hit it again. It was there. It was right where it was supposed to be. Only in a hard right-hand turn. And, you know, we looked at it and looked at it and finally came to the conclusion that when they change the lower control arm, there's a steering stop that screws into that control threaded arm. bolt. Right, and it's adjustable. Well, that was missing. They didn't transfer it from the old arm to the new one. And what was happening when you make that hard right turn, the caliper was hitting the frame rail mm-hmm. and pushing the piston in. And that pedal would go to the floor because it had to take that space back up. We like to never found out. Kind of the same thing, just more or less different twists. Different on situation, it. yeah. I remember one time, too, we had a little Mustang that was just eating tires to beat the band oh yeah i mean yep. this thing would just oh, it it's would slaughter a set of tires yeah. in like a thousand miles right set of tires off of it he was on his third set in three thousand miles oh yeah like that. and he would go to lima shop of course they would check the alignment and everything was good sure and they couldn't figure out what was going on so finally they brought it to us saying man must gotta have a bent frame or something we just can't figure we're aligning it and da 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 right so we pulled the car up on the line machine and everything's in alignment yeah and I Everything's mean, right where it was right, supposed to right be. on the spec. But as you back the car off and it hit the concrete, you could, on a line machine, you're on turn plate. Right. So everything was moving around right. and, and settling. But when you backed it out on that hard surface, it wasn't moving. You could mm-hmm. hear those tires just gnawing oh, the yeah. thread off of it. 
when it backed up. Mm-hmm. And what had happened is they put the tie rods on mm-hmm. upside down. That's right. They put the Centrelink on, flipped it over or something. Now, that was so, a, a Chevy Suburban. Okay. Or okay. Tahoe. Okay. I remember that one, too. Yeah. But I was thinking of the Mustang. Mustang, yeah. They put the tie rods. Instead of upside. the tie rods going in from the top. They're going in from the bottom. Somebody had installed them from the bottom. So when you backed up, the toe was changing. Mm-hmm. Drastically. And, and it was just dragging the tires. And it did slaughter a set of tires in, like I say, a thousand miles. Oh, yeah. Toe is one of those things that just eats tires oh up. yeah for every eighth inch of toe your tire will, will drag 60 feet sideways for every mile you drive right so and when that you got take long an inch of toe <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take long no it does not take long at all but to, referring back to that tahoe mm-hmm. they had put the center link the center link had right been changed. that's what i was thinking of yeah and they had put it on backwards which mm-hmm. moved the tie rod position to the front instead of to the back right. where it's supposed to be so when you would back up the toe would change because the tie rods were on the wrong side of the steering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was odd. <laughs> Finally found it, got to looking at it. Something just didn't look right. Mm-hmm. Finally looked at it and said, that's it. Yep. That's got to be And sure enough, turned it around and boy, yep. everything was flipped it over and that fixed it. And, yep. You know, Mark also wrote back and he was talking about a lot of times when he has problems, he can figure out like a workaround for the problem. Uh-huh. Like he had called several weeks ago and he was talking about his car had a, I think a misfire at idle and... What he figured out after a period of time is that he turned the air conditioning off when he started the car and didn't let it run until the car kind of got going. Then he could turn the air conditioning on, he could drive the car, and it did not occur. Okay. And they had replaced the injectors thinking that was a problem. And he said it did smooth out, but next few times later it came back again. And what he noticed is that when he picked the car up, it seemed to be fixed, but they had turned the air conditioning off. So we started the car, the AC was off, right? and it, it seemed fine. It, right. it idled fine. And what happened, the tech went in, he diagnosed the problem as, as bad injectors because he didn't have a proper flow on them or whatever. Uh-huh. He just turned the air conditioning off. So when he did the injectors, he got in, the problem was fixed. Right. So he gave it back to the customer and not thinking about it. But what I would assume is happening, and again, I don't know, it's a European-type car, so I don't know exactly how it works, but most likely when you start the car, there's some sort of a, procedure it goes where it sets those injectors base time or whatever and with the air conditioner on maybe it's dragging something down the electrical system or loading something has differently it, different that load. interferes with it but see that one little piece of information might have prevented a misdiagnosis sure because if you knew that with the ac off it doesn't do this and with the ac on it does well it's the same injectors right right everything's the same so now we're looking for a load problem or some different kind of problem so a lot of times when you figure out those little things, if you can share that information with the shop, sure. what it will do is it will make it much, much easier, read that much less expensive to diagnose the problem. Sure. You know, so what you want is, a, is a, as much of the information as you can. And that, that's why, you know, when you have an obscure problem like that, if you will leave the vehicle when you leave it at the shop, if you don't really notice it, don't change anything. Mm-hmm. Try not to change any of your settings, you know, like your... Even down to the radio. Right. Leave the radio wherever it's set. Wherever the it's at when you normally use it. Right. And leave the vehicle that way. That way, if the problem is there, it should show up again when the technician gets in the vehicle. Well, and some people have one key that they drive their car with. And another one. And an extra key they leave with the shop because they don't want to have to fight that key sure. taking it off of the ring or whatever. And sometimes, especially on modern cars, the key can cause problems. Oh, most definitely. Because you have an anti-theft system that it sees one key, it doesn't see another key. They give all, you key car starts just fine every time, and they say, well, every once in a while my car won't start. Well, it's a chip in their key. Yeah. Is 
It's borderline bad. But if you don't have that key, there's no way to duplicate it. So what you get is just a frustrating experience. Sure. So you want to have the car exactly in the condition that it was in when, when the problem, when the problem occurs and as much information as possible. I remember we had a guy a while back who came in. I don't recall the vehicle type, but he said he wanted a new engine put in the car okay. or vehicle. And I said, why do you want a vehicle? He said, well, it knocks. It knocks like the devil. He says, it's knocking. He says, I'm, I'm an old mechanic myself. I know what a knock sounds like. Uh-huh. So, okay, great. Let me, let me check it and see. So we get the car in. We crank it up. No sound of any kind. We check the oil. It's full. Uh-huh. Check the oil pressure. It's good. I dropped the oil filter, looked inside. There's no metal or anything in the oil filter. Right, I drain a little, open. Right, drain a little oil sample out of it. There's no metal in the pan. There's no metal in the oil filter. So I called him back. I said, I'm sorry, I just I can't duplicate the problem. Right. Well, that's when he said, well, it only does it when I first start the car. Okay. Okay. And by that, you mean first start it in the morning after it sit all night. Yeah, that's right. He says, if I start again during the day, Unless it sits a very long time, it won't do it. He says, I figured all is all pressure draining back in the engine and it's knocking. So I, I want to put an engine in. Let's just okay. let's just go ahead and order an engine. I said, Whoa, slow down just a little bit. And he wasn't gonna hear anything else. That's right. He, he didn't made up his mind. So I told him, Okay, I'm gonna order the engine, but it's gonna take a day or two to get it, and we'll put it in as soon as it gets here. He said, okay. He, okay, I'm fine with that. So the next morning we got out there, cranked the car up. Well, sure enough. Yep. And what it was it was not an engine rattle at all. The starter Bendix was sticking slightly out uh-huh. on the first start, and it would hit on the flywheel. And right. it, it sounded like a rod knocking. It was loud. <laughs> well, once the engine warmed up and vibrated a little bit, well, that spring would push it back, and it, it might not do it again the rest of the day. Right. Because even when the vehicle cools off, the ambient temperature goes up. So sure, the starter's still fairly hot. You got an exhaust system on there, all these things. So you may not duplicate it again, but when he, he drove the car over, it was already warmed up. It already vibrated, already heated up. So we couldn't duplicate the problem. Right. Next morning, there it is. So, you know, I called and I said, well, I'll still put you in the engine if you want, but I think I'll change the starter. <laughs> <laughs> it comes with a new starter. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he laughed and we changed the starter and yep. checked the flywheel. It hadn't chewed the flywheel up yet. And we saved him the cost sure. of an engine. Sure. That if we'd have gotten too big of a hurry without having full knowledge, you'd have just put an engine in it and he'd have still had the same, well, may have had the same issue after he got it back. Well, or he, you may have changed the starter with the engine, which would have fixed the problem, but he'd so always never, thought he needed an engine. Right. You'd never known. <laughs> yeah. Whereas it didn't. And you know, you were talking about that knocking type noise mm-hmm. on a modern engine like that. Mm-hmm comes to mind a, a broken flywheel. Mm-hmm. The flywheel, crack flywheel will crack around the bolt pattern, and when you when it's sitting there running, you rev it up, it sounds just like a rod. Yeah, yeah. You got to do a little diagnostics, and you can you can usually find that one pretty easy. But well, that's, that's one of those that sounds like a rod knock. It is something else. Well, that's exactly right. And even when you describe the noise to the shop, you got to remember the word noise is relative. Oh, yeah. And what's very loud to you may not be considered very loud to someone else and vice versa. Correct. So I remember I had a lady who called me. She said, I've got a noise in my car. I said, well, when does it do it? And da, da, da. Uh-huh. I said, well, how loud is noise? Well, I don't know. Loud. Okay, but can you, well, how do you describe that? I said, well, with one as a wristwatch t- ticking. Yeah. <laughs> or 10 as a nuclear blast. Which said, one? Where would you find <laughs> And she kind of laughed. She said, well, I guess it's kind of a quiet, subtle sort of a noise. Uh-huh. You know? 
But it's funny, I had another lady to call, and, and she said she had a vibration in the car. Right. And again, she couldn't describe how big a deal this, this vibration was. So same thing. I said, well, with one is a cat walking across the floor, and 10 is an earthquake. She says, what category of earthquake? You got me there. <laughs> Let's go to our phone lines with David. Good morning, David. Oop, there we go. I, David, you got to call back. I'm yep. not sure what's going on there. But it's funny. If you just say, I've got a noise, you got to realize that the word noise is relative. And I know sometimes people will exaggerate because they think it makes it sound more important uh-huh. or maybe you'll get on it faster or whatever. And that doesn't help either. What no, I mean is that actually, accurate. That actually complicates things. Well, it very, very much can complicate it if you're looking for something that. Yeah, the customer explained as being a loud, obnoxious noise. Yeah, and you hear a little subtle noise. Well, you say, well, I hear a little subtle noise, but he's talking about a real loud noise, so that's probably not it. Right. And then you go spend a bunch of his money and time looking for this loud, loud noise, and more times than not. And, you know, then on that subject also, you get to where you have a vehicle with multiple noises. Right, that's correct. Which noise are we looking for? Yeah, because— I mean, I can spend all day trying to track them all down. Well, and one noise may have been there since the car was new. He's not concerned with it. The one he's concerned he's, about is another is the one. new noise that just started. But sure. again, the but guy the driving the car doesn't know that. Exactly. Which is which. Let's try. We got David in line again. Good morning, David. Hey, thank you for yes, taking sir. my call. Sure. Bet. I've got a 03 Suburban with about 245,000 miles. Okay. I changed it all myself mm-hmm. uh, every three to 4,000 miles. I did change out the instrument panel probably two years ago. Mm-hmm. So all the gauges were working, mm-hmm. and this is one that I guess the Suburban is kind of decked out, if you would. So mm-hmm. it's got gauges, not idiot light. Right. And all of a sudden, it had nothing to do with the panel, but I tell you that because I noticed after about a year, the oil pressure gauge, when you crank it up, mm-hmm. instead of staying around 35 to 40, right. it just shot over all yeah. to the right. right. So I common. said, well, that's fine. I, you know, I can go with that. But then all of a sudden, I have an oil leak. A quite substantial mm-hmm. oil leak, but it doesn't leak when it's not running. Right. And so it flows down onto oh, yeah. the cross yep. exhaust. Yeah, and that, then kinda, that's you pretty know, much a burn. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty. You gave a great description, David, and that's pretty much a dead giveaway. There's a part called an oil pressure sender unit, which is. Oh, I know where it's at. Yeah. Up on top. <laughs> that's, yeah, that you can't reach. Almost every time, right. that's where yeah. that's going to be. Yeah. That causes both of those problems. It does. It's pretty common for it to do that. Right. And that won't cause that to do that oh yeah absolutely we yeah. okay yeah it'll because, co- that'll cause your gauge yeah. to peg over and it'll also cause a leak when it gets worse yeah what happened between the plastic and the aluminum housing where right. it's crimped together yes there's a rubber diaphragm in there and what happens is that diaphragm ruptures mm-hmm. when it ruptures it quits moving the the needle that yeah. moves the gauge and it also lets right. oil bypass and it'll come out the where it's crimped electrical together. connector right. sometimes yeah mm-hmm yeah, because I'm getting ready to sell it, and I want if it was only you know a hundred, two hundred dollars, I wanted yeah. to fix it before yeah. I sold it because oh, I could get so much more. Yeah, that's an O three so, model. It's an O three. Yeah, yeah. That, that was fairly easy. I want to say about an hour's job. Some it's of the later later model ones, you got to pull the intake to get to it. But yeah, that one's fairly easy. Unless you got little bitty bitty hands. <laughs> yeah, which I don't. I yeah, don't yeah. either. Typically, I do stuff myself, and I looked at YouTube, and it's like, nope, I don't think. Uh, I yeah, it, it's kind of hard to get to. It, it is. It's really it's, it's bad yeah. to get back there. Back there. But you and really he, think that's probably it? And I would say the, very, uh, very likely. Yeah. You know, the rear seals or anything like that. Well, those also had a problem with leaking. In fact, if you go to my website and just yeah. type in GM oil leak, 
it'll bring yeah. up an article on that exact topic and it'll show you pictures of everywhere they leak the common right. places that just the combination of the all pressure cage not working and that leak coming on that is certainly where i would start sure. i mean That's, they yeah. have trouble with right. the main seal cover plate they have trouble with the all sure. block off plate they have trouble with all pan gaskets but yeah. by far that's the cheapest and most likely yeah and i've checked all those you know the other mm-hmm. that you can see right because yeah. like i said i'm up underneath there every yeah, yeah. well know, it's running down months, and dripping so. off at the bottom so and it, 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 always like drip, it always drips at the rear main seal because sure. that's the lowest point on the engine sure yeah, right. Exactly. All right. Okay, guys. I appreciate All it. Right, Thank David, you very welcome. much. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Let's see how many of these calls we can catch before the break. We've right. got John online. Good morning, John. Hi, Lewis and Brian. It's John in Toronto. Hey, John. How are you this morning? Good, thanks. We got a call from my daughter about an hour ago with her Acadia saying that they, they wouldn't start in a parking lot. And the two grandchildren in the back seat. And I called me back, and about a, she went out. She went, she went to, to look at the booster battery in the trunk, and it wasn't. But... He opened the back hatch, went back, and then it started. I'm wondering if there's any tricks that you have if if if, if everything's dead. Like I, in the old days, you know, you, you'd w- wiggle the the gear lever and and fiddle with steering wheel and key, see if it was anything there. You get any other tricks if it goes again? Yeah, have to get I it mean, in. Yeah. John, that almost sounds like a loose battery cable, either at the battery itself or where the battery cable attaches to the power center. If that okay. cable gets loose, and it'll be a no crank, not a no start. In other words, when you turn the key, it'll do nothing. Yes. Yeah, check that cable real good, and also check and make sure all the battery terminals are clean. There's no corrosion on them or of any kind. Okay, she took my advice and got a new battery on mm-hmm. yours. They saw uh, a couple of years ago, but, you know, so I think the batteries are still Yeah, and those cables will get loose. They'll, yeah, work, they will. they'll work themselves loose. Well, if you're if you're if stuck somewhere, would you just go out and try and wiggle them around? And I would. And get oh yeah, stuff? I would. I'd pull on both ends of them. Okay. Well, that's good. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, John. Thank you. Appreciate Bye-bye. it. Bye bye. All right. We got to take a quick little break, Kevin. If you can hold on, you will be the first one up after the break. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at ATCO and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at ATCO Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We certainly appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And we have got Kevin's been patiently holding. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you doing? Doing, doing great, great, sir. Pretty good. Okay, I've got a 2014 Ford Explorer. Uh-huh. It has an odor that I cannot get rid of. I've had it professionally detailed. Mm-hmm. I took it to this guy. They did the ionization. Wow. All that. I changed the cabin filter. It seems to be coming out of the AC. Yeah. Like when you... When you turn on, well, let me ask you, thing, Kevin, what kind of an odor is it? I mean, is it like a, like a rotten egg odor or a 
something dead kind of an odor or, or rancid oil kind of odor? It's not rancid oil. It's more of a musty, rotten egg. I mean, it's not like I'm dry. You know, it's not, you know. Yeah, it's, it's just there. Up, right, it's just there. But it's, it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. So the latest thing I'm going to try today, a guy at a shop I deal with mm-hmm. gave me some stuff. I'm going to take off the little deal under the hood and mm-hmm. spray through the intake valve. Right, right, right. Try to clean it out. I read this plan around, but this seemed in the older models that in the AC unit, that water could get in there and get mildewy, but the it guy can. told me that in the newer ones, it doesn't seem to do that. So anyway, that's what I've done, and man, I can't figure it out. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, if what you're doing doesn't solve it, then most likely it's got something, some kind of organic material, like a little critter of some sort that's crawled up in there and died. And what will happen if you use the car every single day and it airs flowing past it, it's probably just a small part of him left in there. It'll, it won't be so bad. If the car sits out in the sun for maybe three or four days, you get it, you probably get a big old whiff of it initially. So if you keep deodorizing, I mean, if you've ionized it, then it's not anything that's alive in there. That would kill any bacteria or any fungus or anything like that. It's, I think probably the remains of some kind of organic material that's inside that duck. And if you don't get it out of there, I mean, you could deodorize it, which kind of will musk Just cover it. it. Yeah. It's sort of like people way back in the old days used to put perfume on to cover body odor and that right. will kind of mask it, but it's going to come back because you hadn't taken a bath and <laughs> you removed the body odor. So if it comes back again, what I would do first off, or you might even do this this time, if you care to go ahead and pull the blower motor out. Reach up in there as far as you can and see if you can find anything. If that doesn't get it, the next step is probably going to be to pull. You got to pull a dash right. out and take the evaporator case out, particularly on a Ford product because they have a two-piece evaporator case that bolts together, bolts to the firewall, and you can't even get into it without, without taking it pretty out. Pretty much taking the dash out. But certainly try deodorizing it. There are several things out there. If it's a bacteria or a fungus, any of that, it'll kill that. But if it continues well, to come back, it's, it's going to be some kind of organic material that's decaying inside of there. Well, th- this has been going on for about a month or so. So yeah. if it's been like an animal, things yeah, like you that would have rotted away. No, it takes a long, long, long time. I've taken dashes out and found just a very small part of like a little small mouse or something. And this yeah. has been going on for years. And it, oh, really? and it was yeah, it was still in there. I mean, it just unless something like flies or whatever get to it to eat it. You know, if it's just sitting there just deteriorating, it's going to take a long, long time for any sizable piece of organic material to go away. And it may even be a bunch of leaves. I mean, they'll do the same thing. They'll sit there and rot because they're organic. You know, as, as they That duck is sort of a perfect environment for that because it's dark and it's wet. So things tend to kind of grow in there and they don't really go away. What they've done on later models is that you may notice when you turn your air conditioner off, what it does, it kills the air conditioner first. And then it keeps air flowing through, which dries that core a little bit. Most newer cars do that, which yeah. kind of helps prevent the problem with odors and all. But I would almost believe you if it continues after you've deodorized it several times, several different ways, it's got some kind of organic material that's deteriorating in there. In, in the AC unit. In, somewhere, somewhere, yeah. somewhere in the duct in the box. Mm-hmm. And I, okay, so, okay. All right, well, it's. It's been going on for a while, so yeah. I'm leaning toward that's, that's what it is. That's it's most likely it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not an old vehicle. It could be yeah. a little lizard. I mean, something yeah. small. It, it doesn't take much. But, again, if he's inside this sealed-up case and no predators or scavengers can come along and eat his remains, 
you know, he, yeah, it's going to take a long time to just completely rot away. There's just a small drain hole leading into that box. Other than yeah, that, it's, it's baffled up. So yeah. it's, it's hard no to get seal. in. There's no uh, screen or seal or anything in it. Yeah, it's I mean, got to drain the water yeah, out. Yeah, if, if ants or something could get in there and eat him away, you know, in fact, the ants might be better than <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you might dump a handful of ants in there. <laughs> I'm just joking right. with that. But, yeah, the only other thing I've ever seen with that, and Chrysler had a bad problem where the evaporator core would start leaking on the vehicle, and refrigerant is odorless and colorless, so there's no odor there. But the oil, that PAG oil, would soak into the urethane seal, that foam rubber seal between the case and the firewall. Yep. And that seal would start to deteriorate like that, and it would make a really uh, rancid odor just like that, and I mean, you could not get it out other than to pull the entire dash out. Yeah, well, this is more of a, yeah, it's not an oily smell, mm-hmm. this is more just a musty. Yeah, um, I bet there's some kind of little critter that's gotten in there, and he's deteriorating away. Okay. All right. All right, well, uh, thank y'all very much. Have a good day. Bye, Kevin. Right, man, thanks, thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901. We're going to try to catch another call for our next break. We have Fernando online. Good morning, Fernando. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Hi, how are you morning. this morning? Very good. How are you guys? Great, Very. great. That's great. Yes. Uh, well, I have a quick question. Uh, my question is regarding the top tier classification, or I'm not sure how to call it, uh, that fuel? gasoline stations have. Yes, yes for mm-hmm. fuel. Yes. Mm-hmm. It seems like nowadays there's more and more like gas stations that have uh, that rating. Yes. And in particular, there's like one gas station here in California, mm-hmm. very well known that it's a very inexpensive, but now has achieved this uh, this top tier mm-hmm. certification. I was wondering, what are your thoughts about this? If that if you would be confident in using like any fuel, I, I know you uh, mentioned in the past by name brand yes, uh, mm-hmm. known um, gasolines, but right. it seems like nowadays that they're all top tier. What do you guys think about well, that? Well, top tier has been around for a number of years and what it is it sets certain minimum standards and there's a minimum for detergents and a minimum for the cleanliness a minimum of that and what initially happened is that it was one more things for all companies to buy because they have to purchase the right to use that top tier thing so some of them would not buy it and so some of the companies just they didn't have it even though they were good fuels other companies would buy it and advertise it and all that. Well, as it went on, it's become more and more consumers know about it. It's one of those things they used to shop for. So more and more have achieved the, the top tier rating. And again, it's more of a certification that you have to pay something to prove that you've got. Now, all that being said, it's good as far as it goes in that it does set minimum standards on certain things. I find it doesn't go quite far enough. And again, Fernando, every vehicle I've ever had come in with a major fuel system problem, and I ask them, where do you buy your fuel? I've never heard like Exxon or Shell or Mobile. I always hear XYZ department store or this independent Mm -hmm. of that. I just like the name brand fuels because the difference in price, at least here in Louisiana, I don't know about in California, but here in Louisiana, it's probably only about a nickel a gallon difference in price. And so you figure with a 20-gallon fill-up, you're talking about a dollar, and minimum fuel system service is generally 300 to to $1,000. Mm-hmm. I just don't <laughs> think you're ever going to get your money back, you know? <laughs> it's just kind of cheap insurance yeah. to me to buy the better product. And a lot of times in the name brands, they get things that – because, you know, a few refineries make all the fuel. 
I mean, face it, they're the same. They make the, they make the base stock. Right, and I've had people argue, well, they're all the same thing, and they all come from the same refinery. Well, that's true, but, you know, it's just like a bakery. Almost everything in there is going to be flour and butter. And sugar. And sugar. And oil. But right. there are hundreds of different products that come out of there based on the mixture of those things and how they're prepared. Same thing with fuel. Yeah. It's all refined oil, and it all comes out of the same refinery, but to what standard is it made, what additives does it have, that's where the difference is. To me, it's just cheap insurance to buy the better fuel. And again, that's that's just been my observation over the last, you know, forty plus, you know, forty to fifty years. And I'm not saying that all of them are bad. There probably are some decent ones out there. But what I'm looking for is a name brand station, and I want a high volume station. I don't want a little small station in the middle of nowhere yeah, that doesn't right. turn their tanks over real regular because I want fresh fuel. All right, question all right. answered. Thank you guys very much. All right, Fernando, all right. thanks for calling, man. All right, bye bye. Thank you. That's Fernando out in California. California He's called yeah. in before, I think, and I've emailed a few times. He sounds a lot like John from Quebec. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the phone lines. Robbie, good morning, Robbie. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I have a 2000 F-250 V10 gas. I'm having problems with my AC. Okay. I can take off for work. My air works. If I get caught in traffic, it starts blowing hot air. Okay. And I can come back out for lunch get ready to go home mm-hmm. that air start blowing cold again yeah now you got to be careful robbie when you say hot air you mean like outside air or, it, heat, it, or heater air heat air the ac just quit blowing yeah i know but it, you got to be 100 percent clear on that or you're gonna go down the wrong path and spend a whole bunch of money you don't have to spend is it outside air like the 100 degree, 100 degree outside air that is hot or is it like a heater air, like you somebody turn the heater on it's like the outside air. Okay, okay, there you go. All right. Because, see, if it's like the heater blowing, then you're under the dash and the actuators and all that, and that can certainly do that. But if you just tell the guy at the shop it's hot air and he assumes that, he's going to spend a whole bunch of money checking stuff he doesn't have to check. More likely, what you need to do, Robbie, next time it does it, if you can safely pull over, just go out and look at the compressor and see if the compressor is still turning. The clutch you know, is the still front, turning. The front, right. it'll be turning because the belt's driving the clutch. Right. But you know a little drive yeah. plate on the front? Okay. See if that has quit turning. And if that has quit turning, and another thing alternatively what you can do is reach over and touch the two lines. One should be cold and one should be hot. If they're both about the same temperature, then the compressor's not turning. Okay. What's happening a lot of times on Fords, we notice, is that that drive plate tends to start wearing. And as it wears, a little gap, the layer gap between the face of the hub and that plate gets wider it's a magnetic clutch it's a magnetic clutch right now what will happen is as you drive further and further and further it's slipping slightly all the time it'll get so hot that it'll just cut off it'll the, the call will just release and then it'll quit working then what'll happen if it sits and cools back down it'll start working again exactly. now that's one yeah. possibility now if that compressor is still turning but it's not getting cold then you're more likely into something like evaporator core could be freezing up. Like if it's a little bit low on charge, it can do that. If it has an expansion valve, which I think that one's going to have an orifice too, but I've seen a bad expansion valve cause the evaporator core to freeze after a certain amount of time. If someone charged the system in the past, didn't evacuate it properly, and there's some moisture in the system, that little drop of moisture can freeze in the wrong spot, and when it does, it's going to block the system. You let it sit and cool. It falls out goes right on through. So... The whole key is going to be to watch and see if that compressor is turning or not. And if the compressor is not turning, get a feeler blade and check that air gap. Now, the good news is if it is that air gap is too wide, you can pull the 
into that drive plate off and there's some little shims behind it. That's adjustable. Sometimes you can take a shim out, put it back together, and fix that problem. Now, do okay. not be tempted to throw more refrigerant no, in. No, do not do that. Do not. Without no, I no, had it checked. It's full. Yeah, if it's okay. fully charged, then the only other thing you can do is have it identified to make sure it's full refrigerant in there and it's not air. some moisture or air in the system. Yeah. Because something but, like a bad seal on the front of the compressor can draw air in the system and it'll do that. So I could probably name Oh yeah, 30 we can, we can 40 keep different going. things that could cause like that I said, problem. It work perfect. If I get yeah. caught well, in they traffic, all do that though. It'll start yeah. the one that hot air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll work good for a little while and then it starts warming up now, usually. One other thing too, Robbie, if you start driving the car without doing anything else, or you're in traffic, it's blowing hot air, you start driving, does it start getting cool again on its own? No, it won't even it won't. cold. Okay. okay, we'll see. Then you're not because a, a yeah. bad fan clutch can cause that also. But when you start driving down the road, it'll start getting cold again. Something like that clutch just got to cool completely back down before it's going to start working. So I would almost bet you that's where it is. I mean, I wouldn't go changing parts yet, but have someone look at it, knows what they're doing. They'll spot that pretty quickly. Yep. All right. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. got to take our last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Phew. I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. This is the final segment. I'm Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Be glad to help you out and point you in the right direction. We still have a few minutes to get that call answered for you. Just in case you don't get a chance to call in. Or maybe think of something after we go off the air or even next week at midnight. There you go. You can always get your questions answered on our website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it on in. That's right. Couldn't be easier, and we'll get an answer right straight back to you. If you hadn't gotten something within 24 hours, check email address. Make sure you put the right one. Get one character wrong, and whoop. That's it. (laughs) It's done. (laughs) Then you're out of there. You know, Robbie brought up a good point, and when he said, my air conditioner starts blowing hot. Right. And I know to you, when it's blowing 100-degree air, it is hot. Sure. But... Again, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The word hot is a relative term. It is. I need to know, is it outside air or is it heater, heater air? Because those are two totally different diagnoses. Correct. And I could spend an inordinate amount of time checking your air conditioner. And, With the wrong complaint. Yeah. If I'm thinking it's just blowing ambient air, then I'm looking for refrigerant problems. Where if it's blowing heater air, I'm looking for an electrical problem. Sure. Something so under the dash. That may sound subtle to the average listener, but that is major to the guy who's diagnosing this problem. That it is. Whole different system of thought processes and so on. Another classic example that, that kind of comes to my mind, and that's where people say my car won't start. Mm-hmm. And what they mean is it won't crank. 
Correct. Because when you turn the key, you hear that yong, 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 yong. That is cranking. cranking. If you turn the key and it does nothing, then you need to tell the shop, when I turn the key, it does nothing. There's no sound. It's not doing right. anything. It's, it's not It's cranking. not that it doesn't start. Right. If it it's doesn't crank. Cranking over, you can hear the start running, but it won't start. Then that's a different situation. It won't start. And, again, it may sound subtle to the listener. However, if I'm looking for a cranking problem, I'm checking batteries, cables, electrical systems, starters, all these kinds of things. Sure. Where if it's cranking just fine and not starting, now I'm checking ignition, fuel, fuel systems, pressing. and all that. So I'm going to run a whole bunch of tests tell you I can't duplicate the problem if you we have the wrong give complaint. me the wrong complaint. Exactly. So that's why it's so, so important to clearly express to the shop or at least go and show them what it's doing. That's even better. If you, can, if you have if the you, wherewithal. If you can do it. Right. And a lot of times people have a tendency to want to kind of diagnose the problem themselves uh-huh. or whatever. And I remember several years ago, we had a gentleman came in, and his first question was, how much does it change the head gaskets on such right. and such? I said, well, why do you want to change the head gasket? He said, well, the car's over, it keeps losing coolant, it's overheating. I said, okay. okay, but why do you want to change the head gaskets? He said, well, I've checked it. I pressure tested it. There's no external leaks. Right. So, therefore, it has to be leaking at the head gasket. And I said, well, that's a bit of a stretch. You're jumping from I can't find leak to, to it's got to be a head gasket, where there's no basis for that. So what we did is started checking the car, and what we found was the radiator cap was bad. Right. But when he tested it, he did a pressure test, right. which was which good. You take the cap off cap of the off. radiator, that, screw the tool onto the neck, right, and then you charge it from there. And that sealed just fine. Exactly. So he would check the car for hours and hours on end. Never found a leak. Could not find a leak because he was sealing the system when he was doing it. He was fixing the leak. And checking it. So logically to him, I know I've done a thorough test. I know I can't find it. So it's got to be that something I can't see a head gasket because I can't see that. And the car keeps overheating and it keeps losing coolant. So he was ready to put a head gasket. Worse, sure. he went on the internet. And of course, this particular car kind of had a history of head gasket problems. Right. So he just put two and two together. But again, that's kind of what we call superstitious logic. You really don't know. You think you know, but you don't really know. We see a lot of ECMs change because of that reason. Well, that's right. Because you, know, it, you can't be checked, so we've checked everything else, so it's got to be this. It wasn't any of that, so it must be this. Right. And the same thing happens a lot of times on an air conditioner in that what they'll do, they'll go and they'll put their gauges on there, they'll charge it up, they'll check it for leaks, and it keeps losing refrigerant. And so they can't find a leak, so they assume, okay, it must be the evaporator core because that's the one part I can't see. Uh-huh. However, you got to remember you got two charge ports there. Right. And when you got your gauges screwed on them, it's sealed. they're sealed. Right. And those little charge ports are bad about leaking. Yep. So you may have something as simple as a charge port leaking. You put an evaporator core in it. Well, the next week when it's empty again, now it's going to be you're looking. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be real good. <laughs> <laughs> Wife is not yeah. going to let that slide. That's I'm going to tell right. you right now. <laughs> That's right. You, that, that happens once. Yeah. You know? So you want to watch trying to diagnose the problem. I mean, if you can, that's wonderful, but you got to watch that kind of superstitious if right. I can slur that word. Superstitious. Superstitious logic. There you go. Because a lot of times you may be absolutely certain that something is the problem, except that it's not. Mm-hmm. And that will really, really kick you behind. Oh, it does. It's kind of like the guy who does not have fuel pressure, so he says, okay, the fuel pump's bad. Fuel pump. He even goes and checks. He's got power and ground at the pump. Well, it's got to be the fuel pump, right? Right. Doesn't think. Hey, tank's empty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, it happens more often. We're laughing about it. Yeah. But it happens more often than you realize. Well, that's right. You can you can make that mistake easy because it's a logical assumption to make. It's just wrong. Yeah. So 
that's one of those things kind of funny to talk about, but it's not funny when it happens. No, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not, especially after you got a tow bill and everything else. That's right. I see we're just totally out of time, so we need to start getting on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, get some more people listening. Go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, right. whether it may be Stitcher or iTunes, iTunes or find a written reviews and Fill it out for us, If please. you like those written reviews, go move us up in the rankings so that when folks type in auto repair, our name will come up close to the top of the list, get more listeners, and that means we keep doing the show. That's it. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.